Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Your comments this week and those of our president have been pathetically weak. Dana Loesch, I want you to know that we will support your two children in the way that we will not. Uh, you will not. <laughs> NRA, please just keep the money out of Rubio, okay, if he wants to run again. Am I supposed to have a Kevlar vest? Am I supposed to strap it to my leg or put it in my desk? You just told this group of people that you are standing up for them. You're not standing up for them until you say, I want less weapons. I want to thank Dana Lash of the NRA and also Sheriff Scott Israel for being here to listen to your questions. When we come back... Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It was a debacle. Last night, as I knew it would be, the CNN forum on gun control. Senator Marco Rubio showed up. I don't really know what he thought he was accomplishing. He was there. Uh, And NRA spokesperson Dana Lash, uh, my former colleague at The Blaze, um, and uh, I think very highly of Dana, and she did uh, an excellent job, uh, particularly under the circumstances last night, trying to just give the facts. I mean, make the case, yes, but also just keep the discussion based in reality. And you saw so much last night, didn't you? If you if you didn't get a chance to watch it, eh, you'll know enough from me talking about it, really. I, I can't advocate you spend an hour of your time. It was, it was a gun control show trial. It was, it was the worst kind of... Media political theater, uh, people assembled were rude, they were nasty, they were jeering. Uh, they even at one point called uh, Dana a murderer. Let me answer the question. Let me answer the question. You can shout me down when I'm finished, but let me answer Emma's question. It is not federal law for states to... I don't know if you heard it there in the background, someone shouting out, you're a murderer. How is how is the, the spokesperson for a group that represents five million Second Amendment supporters uh, a murderer? It it's defies uh, logic and sense and reason. It, it's just it's a slander. It's a slander. And yet, if you watch what happened last night, you see that. It was really instructive, actually. It is something that was important for us to see because the way this goes is pretty straightforward. Um, that they will, they say they don't want to ban guns, right? There's a tragedy. They say they don't want to ban guns. And then they say, come on, let, let's, this is a tragedy. It's so sad. We want to defend the children. Let's be reasonable. Let's be reasonable. Okay, let's talk. And then that gets to talking, and it gets to the, well, what works and what doesn't, and what are we willing to, what trade-offs are we willing to make with regard to liberty and rights for 
possible security. And it quickly goes from be reasonable, let's talk, to actually we want to ban guns. And you better agree with us or else you're for child murder. It happens every time. It happens every time. It's right out of the playbook. Come on, just we, we just want solutions. We want solutions. Okay, that won't. Let's talk solutions. That won't solve it. Oh, you're you're in favor of child murder. It's despicable. It's despicable. The the only difference this time around is that the media has students, both from the high school that suffered the terrible tragedy, but also students just more broadly, a student movement to be the vanguard of all of this. A student movement that gives them some degree of protection from criticism. That's the whole reason the mainstream media goes out there with victims. That's the whole reason they put them forward. Because they want to advance policy ideas with the shield of victimhood in front of them. So you're not allowed to say, well, that's a bad idea because then you're a bad person. And we saw this last night. The the mask dropped over at CNN, although no one thinks that CNN is anything other than an an anti-gun political action committee for all intents and purposes. Um, There are a few other things I wanted to note here. And one of them is that what we are seeing is the truth of the anti-gun movement. What you saw last night in this CNN fiasco um, is that this is really a vicious and emotional topic because the left progressives have a disdain for the kind of people who own guns. This is cultural tribalism masquerading as urgent social policy. This is, we we have to do this now. We have to do this now to save the children. Well, that won't save the children. You don't care about children, you evil, monstrous hillbilly who likes guns. That's the way the exchange goes. The way it happens each time we revisit this issue. But one of the differences now, as I said, is that there is a student movement that is being pushed forward by the media at the forefront of this. They are raising money. They are politically active. They're talking about uh, a major march along the lines of the uh, Women's March in D.C. They want to have a march, I think, uh, in the month of March. And they've named their movement. We haven't talked about that yet, um, but they have a name for the movement. Never again. Uh, we are told, I saw a New Yorker piece that said that they call it never again because one of the students who was at the school just came up with that on his own. Possibly. Uh, It's also not an accident that that is the term that is being used. You'll You'll notice that with the two major named political movements of the anti-Trump or the, well, the Trump administration, but the anti-Trump era, one is the resistance or hashtag resistance, which is clearly supposed to link the efforts of the anti-Trump left with the anti-fascist efforts of the French underground during the Nazi occupation of France. That's why they call it the resistance or la resistance or whatever, la resistance. That's why they chose the term. That's why hashtag resistance is the way that they brand themselves. Now, never again is also not accidental. Never again generally has 
uh, for most people, evokes the promise of never again after the Holocaust. In fact, never again as a term, which is generally associated with the Holocaust, first appeared or was uh, first noted by the historian Raoul Hilberg, who said that after the Buchenwald concentration camp was liberated in April of 1945 by U.S. forces, one should note, that there were handmade signs that the the inmates there upon their release um, created and put up never again, never again. That was at Buchenwald, and that was after the Nazi extermination after the Second World War, which killed 50 million or so, um, and 11 million exterminated in the death, uh, the death camps, 6 million of them Jews. So never again has a very powerful connotation. It's very powerful slogan, very powerful phrase with a deep, uh, deep history attached to it. And that is why it's been chosen now for this movement at this point in time. I will leave it to you to decide whether this is, uh, the, you know, the, the calls to ban semi-automatic rifles or, or whether the, the NRA, which is supposed to be the enemy in this, is somehow in any way, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a parallel to Nazi Germany here. It seems to me like that's, this could be taken for, um, this could be politicized in ways that are just damaging to any conversation. And that may, in fact, be the point, Right. Any moral, decent person is immediately repulsed by and feels revulsion um, when just thinking about the Holocaust. And in this case, yes, any decent moral person is repulsed by a mass shooting at a school. But the way that the term will be applied is that this is the movement of never again with the, the moral authority of those who oppose the Holocaust. In this case, they're opposing School shootings. But if the NRA or anyone else stands against them, you see, then they're opposed to never again. If the NRA doesn't do what they say, then they're opposed to never again, which, as we know, evokes memories of and the thoughts of the uh, the Holocaust. And that is why it has been chosen. Um, given that we're talking about gun control right now, I think it's important that we understand the terminology that everyone is using, and I think it's important that we understand the facts. So, uh, we have seen what they really want here last night. There was cheering. Uh, There was cheering even when Marco Rubio mentioned the possibility of, or what would happen if you tried to ban the AR-15, is you would ban semi-automatic rifles across the board. Cheering. They want That's what they really want to do. Oh, they cheer for that. Uh, there was booing when uh, Dana Lash tried to be respectful and, and answer each one of their questions. You see, it's, it's not that the Second Amendment side of this debate is unwilling to meet them on the battlefield of ideas, so to speak. It's not that the Second Amendment side shirks away from any of this. Quite the contrary. It's that we are faced with an emotional movement that does not really particularly care all that much about what the facts are of the policies that they promote and the things they want. They just know it feels right. It must be right. Because hashtag never again. 
Kevin Williamson over at National Review wrote the following. I thought this really got to the uh, heart of this point today. Quote, our progressive friends enjoy boasting of their purportedly evidence-based approach to social problems. But when it comes to firearms, it is pure culture comp or culture, culture fight. Firearms, in their view, are an atavistic enthusiasm for rural primitives and right-wing militia nuts, a hobby that must be tolerated, if only barely, because of some vestigial 18th century political compromise. That's really how the left views gun control. That's really how the left views the Second Amendment. And I've been saying it to you for quite some time here. And at that CNN forum last night, we saw it. We had adults being snide and dismissive and and hateful toward individuals who literally are there to have a conversation with them about this. I will also note that when you compare the listening session that President Trump had at the White House with that CNN forum last night, as I've been telling you, one side of this issue at least wants to discuss it and be serious about it. The other wants to make it into a food fight wants to turn this into some kind of royal rumble where everyone gets to just beat up on the big bad NRA. We will talk a bit more about where the policy stands. The Trump administration is saying that stuff's going to happen. And there's more they've added today. In fact, there's something they just talked about right before we came on air I'm seeing here. So this is not going to be... We just move on and forget about this. I think we're heading for some changes here. We should talk about what those may be and what it will mean if they are, in fact, enacted. Um, That's all coming up, so uh, stay with me. I have an appalling update for all of you. Um, I I have breaking news here. Literally just hit, just hit the Washington Post as we are on air. And I was just talking to guys about this in here, and we are just jaws on the ground. You have got to be kidding me. The armed sheriff's deputy who was on the grounds of the Marjorie Douglas High School shooting when it occurred took up a position outside the school and never went inside. You've got to be kidding me. The armed sheriff's deputy knew dozens and dozens of rounds fired one after another, reload, reload, minutes passing. Defensive position armed, never went inside the building. Cowardice isn't just on the battlefields, my friend, sometimes. Cowardice can happen here at home, too, right? Sometimes people just don't have it in them. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Uh, as It's just... How much worse can it get from the law enforcement experience? How much worse is it going to get? Look, I've I've got career law enforcement in my family. As you know, I spent did a 
toward the NYPD. I'm just I'm not trying to beat up on law enforcement in general here, but in this case, in this instance, FBI doesn't follow up on the tip. They had to apologize today. Local law enforcement, that sheriff last night at the CNN forum, uh, pouncing on the NRA all over Dana Lash. He's a politician. He was calling for gun control right away. Didn't have any answers for the dozens of calls that were made to police. They showed up. And now we find out that the armed resource officer at the Marjorie Douglas High School took a, quote, defensive position outside and never went inside the friggin' building while kids were getting massacred inside. And he had to know. Bang, bang, bang. He's outside. Okay, adrenaline. Bang, bang. He's outside. Okay, there are kids inside. People are dying. People are losing their lives. People are bleeding out. Maybe freezes for 10 seconds. Maybe freezes are 15. That's 10 or 15 a lot longer than any of, us, any of us would want. But look, we're all human, right? Three minutes? Three minutes? Never went inside the building? Didn't think, hey, I've got this gun for a reason? Didn't think, hey, there are going to be dozens of kids who never see their parents again unless I actually go and take action? They were holding this, by the way. They had to be. They were holding this information. They had to wait until the narratives were in place. They had to wait until a few days, a week, and passed. Because, my God, what are we to make of this? FBI apologizing for a massive foul-up. Local law enforcement looking, in this case, inept, incapable of doing anything. Couldn't have had more tips, more red flags about the shooter. And then during the actual shooting, during the actual shooting, this this guy never went inside. Sheriff Israel suspended school resource deputy Scott Peterson on Thursday after seeing a video from the Parkland, Florida school that showed Peterson outside the school building where the shooter was inside and attacking. Quote, What I saw was a deputy arrive at the west side of Building 12, take up a position, and never went in, Sheriff Israel said. Folks, it's not that the deputy went in late. It's not that the deputy froze for a, a, a moment. Never went inside the building. By the way, it might also be why the shooter, Cruz, was found a mile from the school, was able to walk away, almost got away. We've got to talk more about this. Stay with me. So we're just dealing with the breaking news here that happened while we're on air that the armed deputy at the school uh, did nothing while the slaughter happened inside Marjorie Douglas High. Just waited outside. Just didn't, didn't do anything. Uh, they saw it on video. And they have it on video. Wow. You know, one thing that we've seen here in this whole terrible situation 
is that this has been this shooting in Florida has shown it. It's it's massive failure of the state. Police and FBI in this case and this armed resources officer, I guess, deputized by the sheriff's department. And yet the response from so many people is to just increase the role of the state at the expense of the individual. This is where you see that big philosophical difference. This is failure at so many levels. I, I got to tell you, I, I just, I'm shocked. I assumed that the armed resource officer, big school, big campus, was, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just assumed, was in another building, maybe didn't even hear the first few gunshots. By the time he got there, it was all over and it was a bloodbath and, you know, it's just terrible timing. I, I, I didn't think was there. Now, was there... 30 seconds into the three minutes of killing was there, you know, but from the video and from the description of it, he was, he had took a defensive position while the shoot, while the gunfire was still going on inside the building. We lost 17 young men and women that day. We could have lost a hundred, Right. You're the one person there. You know, I, I know it's it's a lot easier to profess how brave one would be under the circumstances than to actually be that person, but this is not uh this is not a close call. You are their one hope, their one possible good guy with a gun on the scene and you're you're not even gonna go in the building? also complicates the discussion. I know people are going to say it shouldn't. This is just the actions of one person. But it seems that the most favored policy outcome from the White House and the, and the Republicans, or at least from the White House, is to arm teachers and or arm individuals within the schools, right? Give people the proper training and This was somebody with the training and the mandate to protect students on the campus. Not only did it not protect them, did nothing. Did nothing. I I already see it. I see it on CNN right now. They are, they're already running Trump's comments about how attacks would end if you armed trained teachers. This is this is now this is incredible the way the media does this and it's really happening in real time right now because the story just broke front page of the Washington Post while I was on air with you it just happened out no no one none of the other shows had known about this today because it wasn't released it wasn't yet out in the news what you're seeing is the cowardice of this one individual remember who's fired from his or resigned I should say suspended and then he resigned so as not to be fired. So law it's not like law enforcement's circling this guy, circling around this guy, and saying, you know, hey, hey, you know, this follow protocol, tough to know. They, they they're like he's gone. That is being used as a way of undermining the White House's position on training people and arming them. That's what this turns into right away. This one guy. Did not do. And look, it's going to haunt him the rest of his life. And obviously, we all know this. So, but this one individual, 
refused to answer the call, and it was his obligation to do so. And yet now it's already turning into a, the media pivot is, because he did nothing, no one else in a similar circumstance would do something. Therefore, the White House's position on this is foolish. The White House's move to push for greater teaching uh, of firearms instruction and tactics to people in schools, conceal carry, more armed resource officer, all, all those things. We haven't yet gotten down in the specifics of how it would be rolled out, but it's being used to undermine that. Well, look at that. Oh, a sheriff Israel uh, who was at that last night, was at the forum with uh, Dana Lash and Marco Rubio. Uh, he knew about this. They were keeping this one. They were keeping this one quiet. They had to wait for the, you know, they they had to wait for things to get in place before anyone knew about this. It's it's pretty remarkable, actually, when you think about it, that we had heard so little about the school resources officer. We hadn't really heard. Producer Mike, did we know? We just knew there was one on campus, right? There was nothing beyond that. There was no nothing. And this has been the biggest news story in the country now for a week. And somehow this was kept entirely under wraps. I, uh, something something doesn't wash for me with all that in terms of just how this wasn't known or didn't no one no one in the media knew this until today. I just find that hard to believe. No one was asking questions and getting a weird feeling when the sheriff wasn't giving them answers about where was your armed resources deputy. Hmm. What do you think about this? Is this going to change? Does it change at all your sense of whether arming teachers or arming faculty, school personnel, either in a concealed carry capacity or, you know, in, in an open carry official armed officer capacity? Do you, do you think that that's still the way to go? Does it change your thinking at all about any of this? Do you think it's going to change the White House's thinking? I'm this was quite an addition into the discussion here. I was, obviously didn't know we are going to be talking about this at all. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Team, I want to hear from you on this, so let me know, and we'll be right back. Start looking at how easy it is to get around it. You would literally have to ban every semi-automatic rifle that's sold in America. Fair enough. Oh, Fair crap. enough. Thousands of people cheering. Ban every semi-automatic rifle. NRA took a lot of heat last night at that CNN forum. Marco Rubio took a lot of heat last night, and Dana Lash, too, although didn't didn't bother Dana one bit. Although she did say that somebody yelled out, burn her, which is horrific. You know, Dana's a person. She's a nice person. She's a wife, mom. Someone's yelling, burn her? I, I don't care what... The crowd there thinks that their movement is all about and everything else. You don't yell burn her at a stranger. You don't yell murderer to somebody who's literally done nothing. All right, I figured this would happen, and we've got every single line lit, so let's get into this. Um, uh, David in Mississippi, welcome to Freedom Hut, David. What do you think? Hey, I think uh, I think the timing just sucks, Buck. I mean... This guy was on CNN last night talking about how we should ban, you know, all the AR-15s. I think this just says that he's a coward because 
clearly his deputy was a coward. We had a school full of brave teachers and coaches who took bullets. They were brave. He was the coward. And I would say this, that the sheriff is a coward, too. And, you know, clearly, you know, if his deputy is a coward, he must have learned from the sheriff. How could that? I mean, just if you, if you haven't seen it, I mean, you go back. That, that Sheriff Israel uh, was so smug last night on stage. I mean, just lecturing the NRA, lecturing America, and his department fell down on the job so in so many ways. And now we find this out, and he knew he was lecturing the country. And he was talking about gun control and acting like he's Mr. I was in law enforcement 30 years. I know what to do here. Well, didn't know how to train his deputy, apparently. Yeah, well, birds of a feather. Yeah, Dad, thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it. Uh, Mike in uh, Danbury, Connecticut. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Buck, how you doing? Listen, this is, this is smelling more like, like Las Vegas of unknown questions. If the guard was outside, there were two people, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that were killed outside the school, whether they were students or what, I don't remember. Yeah, some people were killed outside, yeah. Yeah, the day of the tragedy, the the sheriff said that the guy was off on his golf cart someplace else. He was far from the school. He wasn't near the school. I didn't know that. He said he really, he he misled the public on on the, I'd have to check on that, but if that's true, that's particularly egregious. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd have to go back and second that, too. But I remember clearly the, watching him in a live news conference that day saying that, the you know, this guard was, was off someplace else on his golf cart. And the the other thing is, if this guy is on video outside that school and there's two bodies out there, did he call headquarters or did somebody from inside the school call 911? Good question. I mean, that, you know, all kinds. Uh, of, all I can of, tell you is that right now the the, the headline the Washington, the headline you're seeing splashed all over the media is did quote nothing, which to me sounds right. like maybe he just crouched down outside the building and you know I, I, I'm assuming he, he pulled his weapon but didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, but there's now there's more questions all of a sudden. What the hell's going on here? And and the media is going to stay on with the kids who are, are rightfully grieving and everything else and all this other stuff. But let's come back to some basic tactical questions here. You know, are the police and those people really prepared in case there's something happening in a school? You know, did somebody profile this, this policeman, this guard outside to see if, in fact, he would do something? People gave me a lot of people gave me a rough time, including friends of mine from the law enforcement community when I talked about this. But, you know, the Pulse nightclub shooting, they had they had officers, multiple officers with long guns on the scene within minutes. And originally there was this story about how you know there was a bomb inside, but that actually wasn't true. They didn't think there was a bomb till later. And the shooting was still ongoing with what it was was effectively a. Uh, you know, officers, I think there were five or six of them with, with ARs and body armor on the scene, and they waited outside. I said, look, I wasn't there, and if that's protocol, then we need to discuss this. But it seemed to me like if people are bleeding out and there's still active shooting going on, you can't just set up a perimeter and say, you know, we're going to see how, we're going to see what happens when backup gets here. Um, yeah, right. But, you know, people got mad at me with that, but I had I had other law enforcement. I had, I had people who were in decades in SWAT who were like, no, they should have gone in. So... You know, with this case, it's just one guy, and it's all riding on him. And his, 
yeah, oh gosh, I don't know. His his cowardice here may have cost lives. I don't know how else to say and, it. And that's why the president, when he said, you know, special training, that's what he's talking about. You know, mm-hmm. you profile and say, okay, is this person qualified technically, and is he prepared psychologically? Military people obviously are. And uh, but this guard was standing outside, and he hit behind the bushes, and and. Uh, all this going on, it really says that the department itself was not prepared. Yeah. Prepared well, the the Sheriff of Israel is great at calling for gun department. control. Mike, thanks for calling in from Connecticut, man. I appreciate it. Jerry in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Jerry. Hey, man. I appreciate you taking my call. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I'm in law enforcement myself, and I know it's just, it really uh, turns my gut to think that somebody would have not went in when they carry the badge and, and try to take care of the situation, you know, they train us that, to, you know, when something like this happens, you don't wait for others. You go in and you deal with what's going on. And uh, I just was was thinking that, you know, and not talking trash about anybody, but sometimes uh, some of these school resource officers that are put into place, they're put there for a reason. And um, they're not out on the street uh, every day, and you know I, I hate to say it like that, but uh, no, I mean definitely... Jerry, look, they're not, you know, they're not, you know, officers in in cities that have a you know a real. I mean, look, I I had family, I had a family member who was LAPD, I had a family member who worked, uh, you know, for well, I won't get into all of it, but there's a real esprit de corps that's a part of some of you know the major law enforcement organizations across the country. There's a real esprit de corps at a well-run sheriff's department, a well-run local PD and you know some guy who's kind of out there by himself I, I don't really know how this works but you know at, at some level uh, you, you know if somebody's a mall cop you're not going to expect them to be able to leap into action like a guy who's been doing SWAT for a decade right and that's, that's right yeah and they they told us in patrol school hey there's those that are meant to call the police and those that are meant to be the police and some people just they just don't have it in them, you know, and we got to be able to weed those folks out and say, hey, you just if you're not going to make it, then we can't put you in a school to protect our children. Yeah, well, because obviously, as, as you well know, as a law enforcement officer yourself, Jerry, in, in this case, you got a guy here who the the assumption and the obligation is he is the armed person on campus for this very unlikely eventuality. But it, it did happen. Right. I mean, and he has to be the guy. And that he didn't go in is just, it just adds uh, so much. There's just been so much uh, incompetence and and just failure, failure after failure of authorities leading up to this. But, Jerry, hey, thank you for what you do, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for your perspective. It's been just, man, it's a gut punch. I really, I mean, the guys were with me when I read that. I just couldn't believe it. You got to add that into the mix here, too. They didn't stop it. The FBI didn't follow up on the tip. FBI couldn't figure out, you know, in true name. You know, meanwhile, the FBI can find Russians who are operating out of a an office building in St. Petersburg who are setting up fake social media accounts and get us all that info, but didn't want to track down the I'm going to be a professional school shooter in true name, which keep in mind, if they had looked up the name and looked at all these other pieces it would have been quite clear they had a real problem on their hands richard in uh, gulfport mississippi hey richard uh, thank you for taking my call thank you uh i would like to point out that all of this 
from the FBI's so-called incompetence all the way down to the sheriff's department after they've been called to the guy's house, what was it, 39 times? The FBI keeps records on who buys guns, so they knew he bought an AR-15. Nobody seemed to do anything. Nobody seemed to pay any attention, and I firmly believe they knew all about this guy. Now, I will point out that as soon as the shooting was over, the scripts were written, the people that were going to do the talking were already ready to go, the buses were rented, new buses. The whole plan of action was laid out, and it was like in 24 hours, which leads me to believe this was nothing but a setup to try to take guns away, to try to do away with the Second Amendment. The now, Richard, I, I, it's, I, I got to disagree with you. I don't that there's not a conspiracy here in front of the event. I think that afterwards there's a lot that's going on here that we've been talking about. But I don't think that this was or I don't think that this was orchestrated. I, I got to leave. I got to leave it there for now. because We're going to a hard break. But I, I have to I have to uh, strongly disagree on that point. But I, I appreciate perspectives here on the show, even when I think they're wrong. Um, we are going to roll in a break. We'll talk more about this and also get into some uh, Russia collusion and whatnot. And then we'll talk immigration third hour. So stick around. The NRA is ready to do things. And, you know, people like to uh, blame them and they do have power and all of that. But they want to do they want to they, they actually came up with uh, certain of the rules and regulations that we have now. But we're going to have to toughen. I told them, I said, we're going to have to toughen them up. Because it doesn't make anybody look good. And most importantly, I saw the devastation of these families. We can't allow that to happen. General John Kelly. So he's a four-star Marine. He's a tough cookie. So if he's a teacher, and if other friends of his from the Marine, if they're teaching, or other people like that, I want them to have a gun. But more importantly, nobody's going to attack that school. Because they know General Kelly is the history teacher. He's teaching about how we win wars, okay? And he's got a concealed weapon. But they're going to know he's got a concealed because we tell them that the bullets are going to be flying in the other direction. You're not going to have these attacks if you do that. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. So we are dealing with the new information, breaking news from the last hour, that the sheriff's uh, deputy at the Marjorie Douglas School, did nothing during the shooting. There you had President Trump earlier in the day talking about what has become the primary uh, response, policy response, preferred by this White House to the school shooting, which would be to arm teachers. And now already, I'm seeing here on CNN, the the bottom third of the screen, Trump calls for arming some teachers, Sheriff reveals an armed deputy at school did nothing during shooting. See? In real time, they are turning this new information into a critique of the administration's policy. Sheriff Israel knew last night at the CNN forum that his deputy did nothing. And he was just full of all kinds of gun-grabbing, anti-Second Amendment ideas to deal with this. Very, very grandstandy, Sheriff Israel last night. 
And now here we are looking at this new information. This is what the left is going to do. They're going to say, forget about arming teachers. It means, and why I say teachers, faculty, anyone, concealed carry, armed resource officers. They're going to say that this incident shows because this one deputy didn't do anything, that's not a that's not an action that can be taken to try to make our school safer. Now, a lot of you would say, uh, well, just because somebody doesn't do the job doesn't mean somebody else wouldn't do the job. And we shouldn't base policy on the actions of one incompetent coward. Right. That's not the way we should view. But that's the way this is going to go. Politically, this is how the conversation will go. You are already hearing a lot of. Uh, a lot of people just pushing down this idea, saying that putting down this idea, saying that it was going nowhere. Here's it earlier in the day before we even knew about the, the deputy. Here's what a teacher at CNN uh, on CNN said about Trump's proposal. Diana. Diana? No, that's ridiculous. That That's just ridiculous. Honestly. You wouldn't have felt more safe? You wouldn't have felt more safe if you had been armed? I mean, I'm just asking. That's the president's proposal. It would have been more mayhem. It would have been more mayhem. No, the teachers got into this to teach. I'm in my 20th year with Broward Schools. I, I Guns, that did not come into my head when I went to study to be a library media specialist. That's just ridiculous. Come on. We, we have we have a sergeant there at our school that didn't stop the shooter. He was there. He was not afraid that we had someone that was armed. Come on. No, no. Now, that uh, that teacher, look, she's entitled to her opinion. I, I understand and respect that. That's fine. No one's saying that every teacher has to be armed. No one's saying that teachers that don't want to be armed should be armed. The issue here would be, should there at least be an option for schools to have concealed? Because remember, schools are gun-free zones. So unless you are deputized, unless you're a resources officer for the sheriff's department or the local PD or whatever, you can't just be a, a person, a private citizen who works, or for that matter, if we're talking about colleges, for example, you know, you could be a student uh, who works there and and wants to carry to be safer. But they're making it seem like, oh, they're just going to force everyone to be walking around. You know, you're going to have librarians carrying M4s with EOTech sites. It's just a matter of time. Like, no one's saying that. But the implication is that this is what we're going to turn all of the, you know, Ethel the lunch lady is going to turn into Dirty Harry or something here. I mean, that's not that's not what the policy is supposed to be. So they don't need to ask somebody who's literally saying she studied librarian services or whatever, although I'm sure there's some librarians that enjoy their Second Amendment rights, too. But, you know, yeah, she's not the person that they're necessarily going to say you should be the concealed carry permit holder on this campus in the event of. I just I look, I don't do conspiracies here. You know that. And I, I you know, I'd never like to be uh, dismissive or or uh, snappy or snippy with any of our snappy, pardon me, snappy dresser, snippy with any of our callers. But I also have to keep it in the realm of reality here. And if I think a conspiracy is way too far off, I'll tell you and I'll try to do so to the anyone who forwards one as, as uh, respectfully as I can. That said, maybe I'm going off the rails here right now because. I do not believe 
that no one knew that this sheriff's deputy, that, that this whole week passed and no one in the media, no one in the policy circles knew that this sheriff's deputy didn't do anything. Obviously, a lot of us, I didn't know, a lot of us didn't know. And I don't believe that this was this ironclad secret. And uh, I just have, I have a hard time with that. I, d- I don't know what to make of it other, other than just to tell you that to me, it seems, seems very, uh, it seems very unlikely. Uh, you had the Broward County school superintendent also talking about giving teachers guns and his opposition to it. Some of the dialogue that I've heard recently is about arming teachers. We don't need to put guns in the hands of teachers. You know what we need? We need to arm our teachers with more money in their pocket. Let teacher compensation, benefits, and working conditions be part of this national debate as well. I mean, you want to talk about shameless. Here's a guy who's basically like, yeah, we need to keep our kids safe from school shootings, which means more teacher overtime, because that will prevent shootings somehow. And that was pretty breathtaking, wasn't it? We need to have a talk about teacher compensation now. Now's the time to talk about paying teachers more. No. No, now is not the time to talk about raising teacher wages. I mean... Oof. This has become very politicized uh, in so many different ways. Uh, so many different ways. And it's uh, gross. You'd think that we could all come together on this and see this from the perspective of just doing what's best. I know this is a phrase that you hear and a lot of people roll their eyes, but, you know, do what's best for the children. That's what we would like to do, like keep our kids safe. We all want the same thing. We all want school shootings to end. We all want children to be safe when they're in school and, you know, young adults and people on college campuses, everyone, uh, to be safe. But, you know, it doesn't help the, the vitriol, the nastiness, the tribalism, the sense that the real enemy is the NRA. The real enemy are people who speak in favor of the Second Amendment. You know, they're saying that while there is a bigger opening now for Second Amendment defenders and advocates than I have seen in my adult lifetime. Uh, a bit, there's a bigger opening now for some kind of compromise or action to be taken. And yet you still have a tremendous amount of nastiness. In fact, uh, Dana Lash, who was at the CNN forum last night, Said, I mentioned this before, but I wanted you to hear from her that you know she she was worried about getting out of there safely. You heard that town hall last night. They cheered the confiscation of firearms, and it was over five thousand people. I had to have a security detail to get out. I wouldn't have been able to exit that if I did not have a private security detail. There were people rushing the stage and screaming, "Burn her!" And I came there to talk solutions, and I still am going to continue that conversation on solutions, as the NRA has been doing for. Before I was alive. So we're talking solutions, and yet people are saying burn her and calling her a murderer and all kinds of just. And by the way, you know, it's not okay. It's not okay if you were a student in that high school to call someone a murderer who did nothing wrong. It's not okay to yell for violence at a public forum, a televised discussion like that. It's, It's just, there's no excuse. It was happening a lot. 
And then there's the booing and the hissing and the shouting and all the other stuff that was going on there. Um, It was interesting to see that CNN doesn't even pretend. I think it was, what was it, a week or two ago I told you, well, it would have been last week, and last week, that I knew someone who was invited to speak at at another forum after Newtown, CNN. And they sat, without telling the person, he was supposed to be a Second Amendment defender, they sat him in uh, literally surrounded by the parents of those who had lost children at Newtown. And they would ask him to stand up in that circumstance and be the guy who's defending the Second Amendment and the NRA. Now, a lot of you would say, well, the argument is the argument. It doesn't matter who's around. Yeah, I understand that. But clearly, it was orchestrated to make him as uncomfortable as possible to make the emotions of the moment as difficult as possible. And that's just the way they do things over there. That's why I left and never looked back. Uh, Anyway, I know a lot of you have thoughts on this, too. Wait, do we have some of... uh, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back. We've got some updates from Sheriff Israel, whose deputy just waited outside while this terrible shooting was going on. Um... I, you know, I, I would offer to you that not only do what I expect that anyone who is charged with as their, you know, as part of their job, their obligation, they would go in and try to help and try to save children and, and yeah, and take a risk that there would be a risk. But I think any, if, if you walk down the street and you had, a vast majority of able-bodied uh, Americans. If you said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a sidearm and you're in that situation and you know, there's a school and it's kids and there's gunfire. I just think a vast majority of people would, would say, you know, got, got to do something. Got to do something. Oh man, rough stuff. 844-900-2825, buck. We'll, we'll have that statement from Sheriff Israel, who's been very chatty. Very chatty about gun control. Let's see what he has to say about what happened that day, now that we have more information. We'll be back with that and more. Stay with me. We're not going to disclose the video at this time, and we may never disclose the video, depending on the prosecution and the criminal case. But what I saw was a deputy arrive at the west side of building 12, take up a position, and he never went in. He never went in, folks. Let me tell you something. That video, actually, we're going to see it. We're going to, they're, they're going to hold on to it for as long as they can. Uh, I, I never advocate for this kind of thing at all, but, you know, I'm just, and I'm not trying to allude to that or anything, but I, I this guy who did not go in, I'm sure he's going to. There are going to be safety concerns for him. Uh, so that's and legitimate safety concerns for him. I, I think that the, uh, I think that they're worried about letting the video out for the time being. Maybe they'll get a judge under that uh, for the, or for that reason to withhold this from the public, but. I I don't know. I think we're going to see this video, and it's going to be bad. You can be sure of that. 
if this was a close call. You heard that. You heard the sheriff there. Now that now that it's out, right? Now that we not the video, but the the facts of this, the description of what was in that video. Now we know. So just so we're all on the same page here, the uh, the FBI dropped the ball. Local law enforcement dropped the ball. The security feed twenty minutes delayed in the school also was so messed up technologically that it. Uh, made it hard for them to figure out who the shooter was and find him more quickly after the shooting. And then the uh, sheriff's deputy just waited outside. Did nothing. But as many are saying, yeah, but the, NR- the NRA is uh, is the problem here. That's what... Uh, do, we have sh- do we have the sheriff from last night, by the way? Play the sheriff from last night. This, this is what he sounded like last night. The person responsible is the agent or the detective or the person who received the tip and didn't exercise their due diligence and took it where they needed to be. All that being said, what I'm asking the lawmakers to give police all over this country is more power. So he's beating up on the FBI there. This is the sheriff. Well, by the way, I think I've heard is like a friend of Debbie Wasserman Schultz's, by the way. I've, I've, I think I've heard that. I think that may be, that may not be true. Maybe somebody just meant that like in the metaphorical sense of a friend of Debbie Wasserman Schultz's as he's a left winger. But uh, the sheriff's beating up on the FBI. And local law enforcement showed up at this guy's house or got dozens of calls involved with him, right? The FBI missed an, an online tip. Not good, but. And then missed the tip that was called in with all the details. That's worse. That was really bad. But the sheriff is beating up on the FBI. Meanwhile, he knows that his deputy was the one person on the scene who might have been able to bring this to an end and save lives in the process. And just completely inexcusable lapse. A completely inexcusable lapse. And then you see the philosophical divide there for a moment. The one that I talked about at the beginning of the show. There you see what really separates the two sides here. The state, big S state, failed at every single level here. Failure upon failure upon failure. And what is the refrain you hear from the left? What does the sheriff say we need to do to fix this? Give the state more power. The state didn't use the power that it had. Give the state more power. The state didn't fulfill the obligations that it had. Give the state more power. This is why it's so hard to find common ground on this issue. We're not seeing the same things occurring here, right? This is an appalling, an appalling and a disgraceful series of events leading up to and during this shooting and we are told that the answer is by the way ban guns what will the answer what will the answer be if they did even ban let's say they just banned all semi-automatic and all new sales of semi-automatic rifle which is not going to happen but let's say they banned that or they banned all ar-15s you know if you have them they're grandfathered in but otherwise and again this is not going to happen the what's the discussion after the next school shooting and it's a handgun? It's going to be banned the handgun, right? It has to be. Because if the logic of the air, an AR-15 was used in the shooting, therefore we ban AR-15s, 
they're going to apply the same logic to, well, a handgun was used there. And as we know, the Virginia Tech shooting, the biggest uh, massacre in a school in the country. Actually, I think the single biggest loss of life in the school's, in uh, school history or in the history of any school-involved massacre was a bomb a very long time ago. I'll look up the specifics of it. I'm pretty sure about that. Like way, way back when. But with a, with a firearm, it was pistols. So the next thing will be handguns, pistols. That'll be the next one. It has to be, right? Or else what's the logic of the first decision? Uh, but it's not going to stop any school shootings as we know. All right, I've, I've, I've been going on at some length here. I know we've had... Not only every line lit, but I know people are people are sending me emails and Facebook messages. Want to get through? What I got a lot to say. Want to get through? We're going to rack and stack them right now, team. We're going to hear from a lot of you. So eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. As the lines open, as we take calls, spots will open up, and I want to hear from you. So we'll get into this, and we'll be right back. I did feel like this opportunity was more successful than I anticipated. Um, I felt that President uh, Trump was very sincere and diplomatic about his responses, uh, talking about during the discussion and after. I do believe that action will be taken by the president and the government of the United States and that gun control will be in effect and change is near. So you had some of the students from Marjorie Douglas High School that were at the Trump listening session willing to say that they thought it was a, it was a good, uh, a worthwhile event, and they think change is coming. What do you think about all this? Uh, by the way, there's also, there's, gosh, I got breaking news here. Mueller has filed 32 new charges against Manafort and Gates. I've been thinking the superseding indictment was coming for a while. That is what this is. But this is the hammer against Manafort, and this is dropping the hammer. Manafort and Gates are in, uh, in for you know some, some rough times. It's not good because this is uh, the tax fraud, tax evasion. These penalties are, these penalties get stiff. Now it's just allegations. Who knows, right? And also has nothing to do with Russia collusion or Trump or anything else. This is all stuff that happened before the Trump campaign, but. This is what special counsels do. Special counsels have to justify their existence. And you never want a bureaucrat with a lot of power who has to justify his or her existence. Not good. Not good for liberty. Not good for the rule of law. All right. I, I, every line lit. Come on, Buck. Stop talking. Uh, Danny in Batesville, Arkansas. What's up, Danny? Hey, man. How you doing tonight? I'm all right. Thanks, Danny. Hey, listen, I'm on the other side, I guess, but I, I got to add the caveat to this. You know, I managed to go more than 30 years without discussing my service in the Marines because I served, you know, at the end of the Vietnam War. It wasn't especially popular war, and at the end, everybody was just trying to get out. Nobody wanted to be the last one to get killed, you know. But I was barely 18 years old the first time I came under fire, and the only thing I really remember was peeing all over myself, okay? So, I mean, you never know what someone's going to do. Now, I'm not defending that, that, that deputy, but yeah, I understand he's been a deputy since 1986. But I also heard something about this a couple of days ago, that they were looking at his actions. So it may have just popped on the news today, but there's been, there's been an undercurrent about, about what, this guy, what this guy did. You know, that I can remember, you know, I mean, it actually wasn't until I was hit with shrapnel from a mortar round, and I'm pretty sure it was one of ours because it was a Willie Peter round, a white phosphorus round. You know, and I'm trying to dig the white phosphorus out of my arm before I actually remember starting to fire my weapon. 
You know, you don't know what's going to happen in a situation like that. All these brave people who want to call, well, I'll do this and I'll do that. Look, if it had been kids and I'd have been there, I'm pretty sure I'd have ran in there. But, I mean, I don't know for certain, and neither do you. And nobody else does. So all these, all these armchair, armchair quarterbacks and, and Call of Duty brave guys, you know, they just don't know how they're going to act in something like this. But I'm going to tell you so, this. So, wait, Danny, but I need to – Danny, and Len, first of all, if I, 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 we all respect your service, and I appreciate you giving a perspective that's different to what, we're gonna, what you're going to hear from a lot of other folks, I'm sure – uh, how can so so that means if, uh, for example, you you said you when you were in the Marine Corps, if somebody deserted their post because they got scared, that's a big problem, right? Oh yeah, look, none of us ran. Look, I was I was there. No, no, no. I, I'm not suggesting none anyone ran. ran. I'm just saying I'm just saying there scared. has to be I'm just saying there has to be accountability, even in extreme circumstances, for those who are charged with life and death situations, right? Those who are given weapons either in the service of their country or in the defense of civilians here at home have an obligation a responsibility so i mean oh, no, I, I i understand the impulse to say look it's difficult and and you know it's easy for people to judge but we also have to hold someone accountable for not doing their duty while little kids are getting blown away 17 of them right i mean that's no and, listen i understand he's, he's being held accountable and that's great what i hate is hear other people call and brag about what they would have done because they don't know what they would have done. Okay, I, I just hate to hear braggarts. It really just ranks me. And, and you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a registered gun owner. I am not an NRA member. I loathe and despise the NRA. I think they need to get out of politics 100%. Why do you hate the NRA? Because they don't represent me. I'm a legal gun owner. I don't need the NRA fronting for me. Yeah, but they don't. I know but what they the don't... Constitution of the United States says, and I, I, I respect it, and I, I help defend it, and no one's going to come take my guns away. And I'm tired of them people just whipping people up in a frenzy, telling, oh, man, they're going to come get your guns. <laughs> I don't know, Danny. If you had listened to some of the folks last night, if you listen to other folks last night, they they actually do want to take your guns away. So I I hate to be the one to break the bad news to you, but it is in fact the case that there are people who want to take your guns away. Lots of them, and they run most of the media, media uh, most of the main media organizations across the country. And yeah, there is that. Uh, all right, let's get to some other callers here. Jeff in Madison, North Carolina. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Buck, thanks for taking my call. And uh, what was the last caller, Danny? I, I think so, yeah. You respect his uh, you know, service to the country, but uh, I'm an NRA member, and I love them. Um, I'm a carry concealed holder, and, and I do carry. And I would just like Danny to know, yes, I do think about it. When I'm carrying this weapon, you know, what is my role? What if something goes wrong? You know, what am I going to do? I consider those things. But anyway, the reason I was calling is because you asked earlier, what this deputy did, does it change your mind on having armed either teachers or even security guards in, in schools? No, it does not. Because how many times have we heard first responders running toward the danger just because this one guy made this terrible mistake and did not enter that building? First responders run toward the danger. We've heard it time and time again, and they're great people. And no, and it's, Donald Trump is exactly right. We 
have to have offensive personnel in these schools. You know, we just keep, that's all I've got to but say. But, you know, but Jeff, I just you can see how the 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 Democrats and the left are going to try to turn this into, well, it didn't work this time. So why would it work? Then you see what I mean? That's that's going to be the narrative from their side of it. Just because this one man made a mistake. No, I I agree with you. I'm just saying be prepared. Everyone should be prepared for what comes next year. We're already seeing it. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what the left says. I when they say something, I always turn it around on them. You know, they say that if we don't go along with their theory on on how to handle this, then we're all standing on uh, dead bodies of young students. Well, I say just the opposite. If you don't go our way, you're the ones. If you don't want armed guards in, in schools, you're the ones that don't want a solution. We want the solution. We are f- trying to find a solution. And I've also tweeted out today that they don't, they're not going to like it, but Donald Trump is going to be the one that does find the solution. I think that's true. I think, And it's going to be – there's some irony to this, right, because D- Donald Trump coming – thank you for calling in, Jeff. I appreciate your perspective. Uh, Donald Trump comes into office and they're saying he's a fascist and he's the most right wing. He's alt right. He's all this stuff. And here, here's something that that may in fact be the case. Uh, not we don't know yet, but this is likely to be, I, I would say, a true statement that Donald Trump will have and at his urging, right? Not just a function of the Donald Trump will have managed within, let's say, his first two years in office to have done more uh, that was constructive and solution-based on the issue of gun violence and uh, particularly school shootings than the Obama administration managed in eight years. That, that is likely to be, it's not yet a true statement, it is likely to be a true statement, depending on what comes out of all this. I think we are seeing that is quite possible. I just think about that for a moment. I mean, it's you kind of have to stop your tracks. And go, wow, that's and yet the left hates. They will hate him every bit. It doesn't matter if if the if Trump, let's just say the the uh, arming of teachers happens, whatever we're going to call it, right? The increased armed personnel on campus on in schools, and there was not another mass shooting in school in a school. For the rest of Trump's term, which would be uh, obviously fantastic and there'd be a considerable drop off. It's not like they'd say, oh, look at how great Trump is. You know, nah, doesn't matter what he does. They hate him no matter what. Just got to remember that, too. Uh, Ron in Virginia. Hey, Ron. Hey, Buck. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you for your call. Well, thank you. A couple quick points. I'm 45, uh, so that tells my age. But I would like to look at a bigger picture other than just armed guards. We have to look at what's going on with the children. Um, Like I said, I'm 45 years old. I grew up in the country. Uh, When I went to school, everybody had, where I grew up, had firearms in their vehicles, whether or not it was hunting rifles, shotguns during dove season. Uh, everybody carried a, a knife, whether or not it was a hunting knife in a scabbard or a, a pocket knife. Back in my day, guys were still fighting in school, getting in fist fights, and nobody ever pulled knives or shot each other. Guns in our day, if you're my age or older, 
you could buy right out of a J.C. Penney's catalog and have the gun sent right to your house. No background checks. So guns are not the issue. You just have to look at the facts of it. Facts are is what's going on with our kids and society as a whole that we're at this point. So that's my one point. And then as to Danny said that he doesn't like people judging, yet he said he doesn't need the NRA because they'll never come take his guns. Well, he don't know what he would do if they showed up at his door to take his guns. So he has to use his own philosophy to come up with, why not fight now? So you never have to worry about what you're going to do when the federal agents decide to show up at your door and take them. Because Danny may find that he was peeing on his leg again. And I just think you can't legislate behavior because it all comes down to a moral compass. You have a great night. And thank yeah, thank you. you for, hey, Rob, thank you, you for, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, by the way, I mentioned the bath, or I'm sorry, I mentioned the biggest school uh, death toll for a, a, an attack on a school in, in history. It was actually in, and I was right, I just couldn't remember the name of it, the Bath School Massacre, as it's called, on uh, the 18th of May, 1927, in Bath Township, Michigan, 44 people killed. Uh, this was through a, f- a firebombing and a suicide by detonating a final device. So it was essentially firebombing and explosions. Um, but that was the, that was 1927. So that was now that involved an adult, not an actual student, as a sh- as shooting the other students, but. Something has changed now, and I'll maybe address this on the side of the break, but we should not lose sight of the world has actually gotten less violent over time, not more. Our tolerance for violence in Western civilization, Western society, and, and the world as a whole uh, has gone down, not up. This issue of school shootings is a particular and, and virulent phenomenon and maybe worth digging into that a bit more after. I didn't, by the way, I didn't mean to talk about School shootings for most of the show. I'm, I just that's where the news took us because uh, we had breaking uh, news during the show. But there's going to be a whole lot more that we're going to talk about tomorrow because uh, we're going to have having David French join us in a little bit here to talk about his his proposed solutions, which I think one of them is particularly strong. And then I got to talk to you about immigration. So there's going to be a lot of we're going to have some Russia stuff tomorrow to hit. But uh, we'll be right back. I saw a particularly worthwhile thread on the issue of uh, school shootings that I wanted to share with you. It comes uh, courtesy of um, Ari Shulman is the fellow's name. He's a a writer and uh, I'm not sure even what his focus is, but he's on Twitter. Here's what he wrote. Some thoughts on why we and our institutions may be failing to deal with mass shootings because we approach them as part of broader problems, not as a distinct and self-perpetuating plague. The problem with almost every narrative that mass shootings are actually an X problem is that X is usually so broad, it's like saying the real problem with asteroid impacts is that the Earth is so big. Take mental health. It's easy to say mass shootings are really a mental health problem because you'd have to be crazy to commit one, right? No, not really. The literature does not reflect a strong link with serious mental illness. Some, like the Virginia Tech shooter, had serious diagnosed or diagnosable mental illness like psychopathy or major depression, but the large majority don't. 
and the vast majority of people with strong mental illness aren't violent. Here's another one. This is really about America's love of guns, or it's just the most visible edge of our gun violence problem. Again, doesn't go very far in explaining mass shootings, which have moved opposite to gun ownership and overall gun homicide trends. It's very important. We've seen this uh, spike in mass casualty school shootings, but also we've seen drops in gun violence in recent decades. Big drops. So what's going on? If it were just guns, that doesn't make any sense. Mr. Shulman goes on here. Uh... Let's put armed guards in every school. Not outlandish, but 99% would never encounter a shooter, and the few who did would be taken by surprise after years of bored roaming of the hallways. Probably why there are already many cases of shooters not being stopped by them. I would note that Mr. Ari Shulman wrote this on February 16th, so he did not know what we know now about the armed guard at the high school. Then goes on to this one. Mass shootings are a white or Asian problem. I've never seen this argument made in good faith, but it's bunk. The racial distribution of mass shooters is basically the same as the general population. It actually almost completely mirrors what you know the, the percentages are of the U.S. population in terms of ethnic uh, ethnic um, uh, background. Male toxicity or a crisis of masculinity. He writes. Hard to put numbers on that, but just about any definition would peg the problem far early than the late 1980s when the active shooter phenomenon really started to pick up in the United States. Mass shootings do have something to do with these factors, except the race thing. That's totally a canard. Uh, but weekly, saying they're actually about any one thing misses the singular nature of this violence. It doesn't go anywhere rhetorically or practically or politically. To the extent that mass shootings are about anything, this is the really important part, folks. It's themselves. They have a distinct etiology. They're a form of imitative apolitical terrorism fueled by antisocial rage, but spread by infamy seeking and social contagion. Strategies with a chance of doing anything must like past efforts to stop hijacking terrorism and assassinations understand mass shootings as a distinct form of self-perpetuating violence and strategically target them as such. Um, it's Mr. Shulman, who is, uh, he's written for the Wall Street Journal and the Atlantic. Uh, I think that's a very astute thread that he had there on the truth about school shootings and how to stop them. Uh, and to that end, we've got uh, David French joining us. And then we'll, uh, just a few minutes, and we'll talk immigration for a couple segments. And then we'll get into some roll call. And tomorrow, I promise, a lot of other stuff will hit that we didn't get to today because it's just the way the show went. We'll be back. Welcome back to the third hour of the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. I know we've hit a lot of topics today. And I wanted to bring on someone who I mentioned earlier in the week in reference to uh, a piece that he had written on, well, one aspect of this uh, gun debate that has broken out. And in fact, now we can have him weigh in on, on a few different parts, uh, important parts of the discussion right now. We have David French on the line. He is a senior writer for National Review, also a, a veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Thank you so much for calling in, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so I actually wanted to start, I know this is from an earlier piece you wrote, but I wanted to start with... Uh, the notion of a temporary restraining order 
uh, for gun buying, essentially. That strikes yeah. me. I mean, there are, there are two places where I see really no problem if the legislation would be done correctly or if whatever whatever the, the fix would be. One would be that, and the other has to do with uh, what Dana Lash mentioned at the forum last night, the mental health checks at the state or mental health reporting and criminal reporting at the state level going to the federal government. But can we start with the... Uh, the temporary restraining order, that to me seems like a totally reasonable idea, and yet it's not seeming like it's a top of the list for either side right now. What's going on? Yeah, so the gun violence restraining order idea, I think, is has got a, a, a couple of virtues to it. One, unlike you know 99% of the gun control uh, ideas that are floated around, it's precisely targeted at the exact kind of problem that we're we're facing, and that is there are people, not just in the mass shooting context, but also uh, often in the suicide context, who give off warning signs. Sometimes they're giving off warning signs like crazy, but they haven't been convicted of a felony and they've not been adjudicated mentally unfit. And so therefore, they still there's no way to deny them access to a firearm. What a gun violence restraining order does is it says it allows people who are close to a troubled person to go to a court and seek a temporary order uh, upon providing clear and convincing evidence that a person is a significant danger to themselves or others. And that temporary order would require that person to be rid of their guns for a specified period of time. And, and so what you have to do to get it is to come forward with admissible evidence, like sworn statements, Instagram photos. In other words, exactly the kind of evidence that existed before the Parkland shooting exactly the kind of evidence that was presented by the, to the FBI. In this circumstance, you would empower people close to a troubled person to go to a local court. Uh, again, so you're, you're not feeding information to the maw of this really big bureaucracy. Go to a local court and get a temporary order, and the gun owner, subject to the order, would have an opportunity to contest it. And so it's very targeted at people who are giving off warning signs, and it gives people a tool to deal with people who are giving off warning signs while protecting due process. It has to be properly drawn, but I think it's got a lot of promise. I do, too. And so I'm wondering, uh, and, and maybe these are questions that you know we, we can't answer just yet, but why is this not the thing that I'm... I'll be honest with you, David, it makes a lot more sense to me than trying to put armed security in 100,000 schools across the country. And I know people might get mad at yeah. me for saying that, but... I, I, you know, you serve the military. I serve the CIA. Putting people with guns in places is not as easy as people think it is sometimes in terms of the logistics and the uh, the possible liabilities and everything else that goes on with it. Uh, why isn't this? Do you get pushback on this or are people, you know, you're a Second Amendment defender. I'm a Second Amendment defender. Who has a problem with this or is there no problem? It just isn't known enough. Well, I think it's the latter that is just not known enough, because uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. I wrote this article. I didn't come up with this idea. It's been proposed in a few states. Um, I, I wrote this article. It literally got more feedback, I think, than anything I've ever written in my career, <laughs> the amount of feedback. And I would describe it as 90 percent positive. Marco, Senator Rubio is, has been in support of it. Um, and so I think it's gaining some momentum. I believe the last at last count, it's up to 18 states for at least some version of this. Now, some are better written than others, but some version of this has been proposed in 18 states now. So it is gaining momentum, but it's not talked about because it doesn't fit particularly on the even though, you know, even though there are liberals who support this, 
it's not a, a, a huge sweeping change like an assault weapons ban. Um, it's, it's modest. It's very targeted. But I tell you, I think it could have real impact because if you look at, say, the, the worst 20 mass shootings in the U.S. since Columbine, setting aside the Las Vegas shooter, which is still such a mystery, um, time and time and time again, these people give off warning signs like you wouldn't believe, and nobody has really the capacity to do anything about it. Um, and this would give people that opportunity to do something when those warning signs are present. Speaking to David French of National Review, uh, David, I, I also think that, uh, and I don't know if this is one you've looked at specifically yet, but uh, Dana mentioned it at the CNN forum last night, which I will, I, I did think was a complete debacle. I mean, not what she did, but what went on there. Nonetheless, uh, she mentioned that there should be information at the state level passed to the federal background check system so that if somebody does something real crazy, you know, if, if somebody's one of these guys that you used to see on the show, cops, who's you know running around yeah. shirtless after he stabbed three people with a screwdriver, that needs to be back information that goes to the federal background check system that we already have in place. I think a lot of people are surprised to know, one, that that's not there, and two, uh, is there pushback to this? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that should go as well. I think the un, the unfortunate thing is that the state mental health adjudications are so broken, and it is it is not easy. <laughs> it is not easy to involuntarily get a mental health adjudication for somebody else. And the other thing is what, what we have to realize is a lot of these circumstances, people aren't crazy. They're angry. They're not insane. They're evil. That's a very important so point. The, the problem is, if you're saying, well, everyone, all these people are crazy, that's just flat out wrong. So the mental health adjudication issue, I agree we can do a better job of that. But the difference between that and, the say, the gun violence restraining order, the gun violence restraining order captures somebody even if they're not crazy, they're angry. Uh, and, in fact, where it's been enforced in, in, um, in California, it's been used a number of times, for example, in the situation of angry ex-husbands. Or, you know, people who are going through a crisis in life and they're very angry, you know, the, uh, going back, back to a place of business or something like that. And so um, we just really cannot put in our minds this idea that all these people who do these things are crazy because they're not all crazy. Well, and Some also anyone who uh, I've actually done a little bit of research on on psychopathy and psychopaths can can function very normally a lot of the time. Uh, in fact, some psychopaths uh, do very well in life. It's there's there's a certain type of psychopathy that manifests itself in really dangerous, horrible fashion. But even the worst of the worst can actually come across as pretty normal. So it, even when we're talking, David, about the scary, you know, maniacal killer type, uh, they often will appear normal to a lot of people. So they're not running around, you know, acting like maniacs in a way that would be observable to every to, to people in the general public. Right. I mean, now, to a lot of those people who look normal to the general public, to, in, to their households, they do not. Right, which is where and the that, restraining that, order would come in and be helpful. Exactly, exactly. And so that's, I think that's something that, look, I'm a big fan of laboratories of democracy, and I would love to see some red states implement a properly drafted GVRO and then study it after a year, two years. Who has the order been granted against? Under what circumstances? And then, you know, you can look at that. And if it's been successful, if it appears to have saved lives without violating 
fun, you know, fundamental due process rights that Americans enjoy, then you can replicate it and move on and, and refine it and improve it. But, you know, people say do something. I really hate that phrase, something. I would prefer a phrase, why, why not do something that has a chance to be effective? And and this is something I think that has that chance. What do you think is different about this time? Clearly, we've one of the reasons we're having the discussion is because there have been multiple mass school mass casualty school shootings stretching back for years now. Why why does it seem like now with a Republican House or Republican Senate, a Republican president, we may get some action on this when we haven't in the past? Well, I think. I think what's happened is it's finally dawned on a lot of Americans that we have a real contagion issue with the mass shootings. So if, you know, gun, overall gun violence in this country has dropped precipitously from, you know, the, the highs in 25 years ago. Um, but these mass shootings, on the other hand, it's almost like there's a virus loose on the land. You know, when you consider that three of the five worst mass shootings in American history occurred in 2016 and 2017, that's pretty stunning. Uh, and then you add this one, which is yet another school shooting. Um, and you reach a point where a lot of people are saying, what, what can we do? Is there something that we can do? Because we have a real problem here. And now, of course, you know, your average American student is the odds of them being exposed to a school shooting is, are vanishingly small. But each one of these things is deeply traumatic in the same way that a big-time terrorist attack is traumatic. They really hit people, and they, they hit people in the gut. And the more quickly the gut punches come, the more desperation builds. Of the, of the different uh, options that are out there, uh, what do you think of the ones that are getting a lot of attention right now, at least from from uh, Republicans? I mean, putting aside that there's ob- there's clearly a lot of Democrats who just want to ban all semi uh, semi automatic rifles, ban all ARs, ban all guns. Putting all those aside, though, of the other proposals, Trump's obviously spending a lot of time on armed security in schools. What do you think? I, I am not. Um, I'm skeptical about that. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One. You will have huge pushback at the school level to that, except for, you know, your your standard school resource officer. A lot a lot of schools have those things already. I mean, but but to say that a single school resource officer is going to be a panacea, I think, just completely misunderstands the reality. I mean, you have one guy on these big campuses and, uh, you know, who's going to spend most of his days bored and breaking up fights and then has to be ready at a moment's notice to spring into action at exactly right place and right time. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, and um, you have a, co- you have a calculating than- 19-year-old psychopath who has access to a firearm and decides he's going to go after a school he knows well. He's going to either go where the resource officer isn't or go after the resource officer first. So that's another part of this right. that I feel like doesn't get much attention. Yes. I think that just the mechanics of it, I'm skeptical that that's a cure-all. I do think that uh, there is an absolutely nothing wrong. For example, in, in my home county, the, the um, sheriff and the police department made a school resource officer available to every school, public and private, in the county um, if they so chose. I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that what we have to say is we're not going to say there's any one thing that's the panacea. Um, there's going to be a combination. So I think, uh, yes, um, having more security at schools is a good thing. It's not going to be the answer. Yes, gun violence restraining orders is going to be a good thing. It's not going to be the answer. But here's something that I, I saw floated that was very interesting to me. When we've had 
crime, critical crime issues in the past, one of the things that we've done is we've organized, for example, specific law enforcement task forces designed to deal with it, like like um, gang task forces and specific tasking specific entities to try to tackle the problem from multiple angles. And I do wonder if it's time for a specific um, kind of like you could even be like a federal local law enforcement partnership like uh, HIDA, a high intensity drug trafficking area. They started when they realized how bad the drug problem was. FBI, DEA, exactly. local law enforcement all working together. Yeah. David, we got to leave it there because exactly. we're going to run into a hard break. But uh, everyone should go check out David's work. NationalReview.com. David French. Follow him on Twitter. And David, thank you for some very thoughtful uh, contributions to what has been uh Quite a discussion this week in some ways, as, you, as I'm sure you've seen. So I appreciate the, uh, the pieces you and the rest of your colleagues at NR are putting up there. So thank you so much. Well, thanks. Much appreciated. All right, team, we're going to roll into a break. We'll be uh, back. I want to talk to you about a little immigration story that's not getting nearly enough attention. I feel like we should give it a whole lot more attention. And I'm going to do that in just a couple of minutes. So stay with me. And yet we get no help from the state of California. They are doing a lousy management job. They have the highest taxes in the nation. They don't know what's happening out there. It's a, it's a, frankly, it's a disgrace. Uh, the sanctuary city situation and uh, the protection of these horrible criminals in California and, and other places, but in California, that if we ever pulled our ice out, if we ever said, hey, let California alone, let them figure it out for themselves, in two months, they'd be begging for us to come back. They would be begging. And you know what? I'm thinking about doing it. He's thinking about pulling immigrations and customs enforcement out of the state of California? Whoa. All right. Now, is he serious? I don't know. We're talking about Trump here, everybody. Would he maybe be willing to roll the dice on this one to make the point? It would be a powerful point at that. What would happen in the state of California if all of a sudden the federal remember it was fought by the the Obama administration fought state efforts to help in immigration enforcement and the federal court this was in Arizona held that okay only the federal government can do immigration enforcement but I think that also then raises an interesting question about well what happens if the federal government were to say you know what for this state we don't think we need to have our resources there. We don't think we have to actually prioritize uh, immigration pol- immigration enforcement in that state. So we're just going to pull all of our resources out, or even just a lot of them. Even just to have a policy of prioritization that directs the uh, immigrations and customs enforcement folks in California to just not do anything. You know, you got other things you got to worry about, guys. I, I don't know. The state could probably sue for a little while. I'm sure California would actually overall. I mean, the, the the people listening to this show in California are conservative. So they're like, oh, my gosh, the taxes in my state. It's run so poorly. It's, it's all crumbling. People are running to Colorado and Texas and all these other places. Um, but I think for a little while there would be almost like an immigration jubilee in California. People would just say, yay, you know, now everything is great and it's wonderful and we're, it's a, it's a, it's a fresh start for immigration policy here and everything else. But then they'd realize, well, what happens if you just have unrestricted uh, inflow into one state? What would that do? 
Now, look, I know they can't really do it. They're not really going to do this. But I just think it's interesting that, first of all, it doesn't even get Trump says this and it get, barely gets noticed at all. People don't even really bring it up. They're just kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, it's just 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 Trump being Trump. And and yet this would have quite the impact uh, were he to do it. And it shows that that the sanctuary city issue is not is not yet uh going to fade into the ether. Uh, also, speaking of California, I just had to note, I, I read a story on how San Francisco is just parts of San Francisco, which is a, a beautiful city. I've I've really enjoyed some time I've spent there. There's a lot of really nice stuff, but the food's incredible. It's, a, it's actually a physically very beautiful place. But because of their policies, particularly when it comes to the vagrancy and homelessness and you know, drug use and all this stuff and just general law enforcement and, and civic cleanup, I guess. I don't know even what you'd call it, that there are whole areas of California now that the quote in the paper was look like a, a third world trash dump. Um, whole, whole areas of San Francisco. I said California. I meant San, I meant San Francisco. Whole parts of San Francisco look like a, 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 just a giant pile of, of refuse you know, because of the policies of the city. And it makes you think, how can you have a city that's so expensive, there's a tremendous concentration of wealth in the Bay Area, and that just allows, there's like needles everywhere, and there's human, you know, refuse on the streets a lot, and all kinds of stuff going on there. It's just a mess. And I asked a friend of mine who spent a lot of time out there, went to school out there, and he said, oh, no, this is true. In San Francisco, this, this is happening right now. In some parts of downtown, it is it is gross. I just wonder, you know, at, at what point do progressives, at, at what point do they cross the threshold where they realize that their policy preferences aren't worth being ankle deep in, in urine and used needles, you know? At, at what point do they cross? Because in New York, they had to cross the threshold. It took them a while, and they got there. And now New York's actually really safe and clean. We'll talk more about immigration uh, coming up here. i got to run to a break, but we'll be back with more. Stay with me. Oh, I have another bit of immigration news to share with you today. Look at this. You know, you, you poke around a little bit in the headlines. You find some stuff that you might not have otherwise. So, okay, Trump's comment about maybe pulling immigration and customs enforcement out of California. You got that. But then you also, and this is courtesy of TheHill.com today, you also have the immigration agency itself removing the phrase nation of immigrants from its mission statement. Removing that phrase. Let me share a little more here. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services altered its mission statement on Thursday by taking out a reference to the United States as a nation of immigrants. The new mission statement reads, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services administers the nation's lawful immigration system, safeguarding its integrity and promise by efficiently and fairly adjudicating requests for immigration benefits while protecting Americans, securing the homeland, and arguing our values. The agency says the new mission statement focuses on the priorities of fairness, lawfulness, and efficiency. Ah, so a little a little bit of... Of propaganda taken out of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, motto, mission, well, mission statement, not motto. Uh, looks like they've changed things up a little bit. Look at that. Uh, I have to say, this is 
<laughs> this is one of these things where you sit around, you think about this more and more, you realize, what, what does that even mean, we're a nation of immigrants? Uh, it's not true in the sense that every nation is a nation of immigrants. There's no say, If you're going to play the, well, my ancestors came here from somewhere else game, uh, I, there is no country that I can think of that that is not the case. Right? I mean, someone came from somewhere at some point in time. So what is the distinction that is being made? Why are we being told all the time, well, we're a nation of immigrants? It's really just a point of propaganda to suggest that and that there's no difference whatsoever. And look, legal immigrants, great, welcome, God bless, good to have you in America. But the notion that there's no such thing really even as an immigrant, because everyone's just an American in you know, an American in waiting or an American that came here through immigration is historical revisionism. It's not the truth. And this is one of these little things that I know people aren't gonna spend a lot of attention on, but you know, you start to look at this, and you say to yourself, oh, that talking point that's been repeated by the media for the last 20 or 30 years ad nauseum, it's just not even accurate. Never mind, it's kind of a worthless thing to say. Like saying that they'll do the jobs Americans won't do. What a sweeping, nonsensical statement to make. Uh, yeah, maybe people that are unlikely to be filing any income tax of any kind will take a different wage basis for their labor than people who are planning to actually file a an income tax report and there's also the issue of people who are here illegally being more likely to take uh, lower skilled lower paying jobs because they're just looking for any work here because they're not supposed to be in the country in the first place but the slogans getting rid of the slogans is not a small thing no longer having every journalist who wants a cheap round of applause go well we're a nation of immigrants uh, I I don't think that that's accurate because <laughs> it's not. We're not a nation of immigrants any more so than every other country that has borders and immigration policies is a nation of immigrants. It's just nonsense. Um, and yet it's taken this long for us to get to a point where we'll finally say, OK, maybe we'll take that out of the mission statement of the agency that has the mandate of enforcing border security. Uh, so is it also just I have to note. That immigration dropped off the docket. I understand why. We all understand why. But just entirely and so quickly, it was supposed to be the big policy fight really of the first quarter of 2018. You know, the first few months of the year, there's tied to the budget and the debt increase, all that. And it's just gotten pushed the wayside. Trump's showdown with sanctuary cities. I still think it's coming. But, man, it has been it has been uh, cast aside without. Without much adieu, without without much fanfare. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll be back on the immigration issue soon, I think. And uh, especially if Trump decides he's going to pull immigration and customs enforcement from California, that would be interesting. Uh, we're going to get into some roll call coming up. Stay with me. Oh, and by, by the way, before I, uh, I actually go into that break, hold on a second. There was one other thing I wanted to toss in the mix here, and that is that uh, California, because we're matching it with the immigration and customs enforcement thing, uh, California agriculture is seeing a, quote, chilling and damaging effect from a wave of immigration audits. So th- there's already an, an impact here uh, from the escalation of enforcement priorities 
uh, or an enforcement period that the Trump administration has on illegals and on em- on employers. That's always been the part of this that Republicans in elected office seem to get the squishiest on the fastest. Fastest, they they're all, you know, oh yeah, they'll talk tough on the border and everything else. The moment you say, hold on a second, are we going to start telling employers that they can't keep doing this, and that means finding them and holding them accountable? Then you go, then Republicans. In the Congress, start to get all. Hey, hold on a second. We need to think this. Think about this a little more. You know, we're a nation. We're a nation of immigrants. You know, they're doing the jobs Americans won't do. You know, then the talking points come out. So I've already seen there's a an impact here. I just want to note that that story. And and now with that, my friends, we'll get into roll call. Man, it is a rainy and bleak day here in New York. It, it feels like kind of a gut punch after yesterday, when for no apparent reason it was in the mid 70s here. It was. It was straight-up California T-shirt weather. Hang 10, cowabunga! Uh, Even though no one ever has really said that, except for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I guess Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Which, by the way, doesn't really stand up. Doesn't really stand up. I got a little heat last night, because I said something that you're all welcome to weigh in on, too. I, I got a little heat, because I just wrote on Twitter that the Batman... Trilogy by Nolan, you know, by Christopher Nolan directed uh, directed it. That is good, but not great. And everyone pretends it's amazing. And I just think it's true. It was on last night, one of them. And I'm like, this. there's so many plot holes. There's a lot of noise, you know, not a lot of character development. There's some problems. The first one is the best overall movie, in my opinion. The second one has the best performance. Heath Ledger, rest in peace. He was the Joker. The third one is just kind of a mess. The third one doesn't even make any sense. I don't know. I, I was not into it. And Christopher Nolan, I, I think it's all a little grandiose and heavy-handed sometimes. But, you know, everyone thinks I'm... Well, not everyone. But a lot of people think I'm wrong on that one. I was just in a mood because I knew it was pouring rain outside. Just bleak, wet, rainy, dark nastiness here in New York. So uh, it does affect your mood. Um, I'm, I'm excited, though. I get to have uh, dinner tonight after the show with my little sis who is an amazing lawyer. She's a, she's a lawyer who does all the important stuff that lawyer... I don't even really know what she does. I, just realized I know she's a lawyer, but I mean, beyond that, I can't speak to any specifics. We're going to go hang out, have some big bro little sis time, and chat about, uh, about life and, and all the different things. And it's important because uh, she is uh, the same age as Miss Molly, so that means that I can, I can ask my little sis to tell me about what's going on in the pop culture world so I don't seem like some out-of-touch old fogey. And then I'm like, hey, do you hear about the new Tyler, the Creator album? There's some great cuts on it. Man, it's awesome. And also Taylor Swift, which I'm not going to lie. I actually, I do know a bit about Taylor Swift. Celebrate her whole catalog. Uh, So, now that I've uh, sufficiently wandered off into no man's land here for uh, no apparent reason. Let's get into uh, some some roll call. Ah, roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. I think this is a very important part of the show because it allows those of you who either listen a little later on 
because, you know, we've got the 24-hour stream of the show. So you can just go to either BuckSexton.com or on the iHeart app. Anytime if you miss the show, you click, and, and it just streams on the iHeart app, the Buck Sexton show. So if you're listening on delay, but there's something you really, you're like, dag, nabbit, Buck, you got that one wrong again. Uh, you can, you know, you can send me a very kind and supportive Text, me- not text message. Sorry, whoa. Email or Facebook message. I'm not giving out my cell phone number just yet, uh, but email uh, to officialteambuck@gmail.com or facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton, and that's. I feel like that's a way to make sure that everybody's a part of the conversation, not just our wonderful live callers throughout the show. So now, with that, we will get into some roll call. I do this. I do this as I go. So that means that sometimes I don't really know, uh, you know, I don't really know what I'm getting until I get into it a little bit. So James writes in, Buck, I just finished season one of Sneaky Pete on Amazon. I loved it. Starring Giovanni Ribisi and directed by Brian Cranston. Sneaky Pete, I will write that one down and I will check it out. I'm, I'm keeping two lists. One is of the shows that I have either seen and want to go back to, and then the other is new shows. So on the go-back-to list, The Americans, great show. I just got distracted, and then I stopped watching it because I don't know why. Uh, Same thing with Justified, great show, didn't get to finish. And now I'm looking at some other stuff. Uh, Ozark, I'm burning through with Miss Molly. We went through The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel very, very quickly. The lead actress in that, it's an Amazon Prime show. The lead actress is is incredible, uh, very, very talented. So, uh, let's get to, uh, here we go. Don, next up, he writes, Buck, you're an analyst. There seems to be a recurring pattern here. The Underwear Bomber, reported to the FBI by his father. The Sarnayev Brothers, reported to the FBI by Russian officials. The Sandy Hook Shooter, known to his high school officials and local police as potentially violent. The Arizona Shooter, known to his high school officials and local police as potentially violent. The Aurora Shooter known to university officials as potentially violent. The South Texas church shooter, known to Air Force officials for domestic violence. The Florida shooter, known to high school officials and local police, and the FBI was notified that he was potentially violent. (sighs) What you just written to me, Don, is that's all accurate from my memory here. All of those things you just wrote to me are true. All those statements are accurate. It It is not... Let's be let's be serious about it. It is not confidence inspiring for the FBI's ability to intervene and deter. But, you know, this is a whole other discussion, and it's not one that a lot of folks generally like to get into. But I'm not going to shy away from it just because law enforcement like law enforcement exists to create the uh, the normalcy of data of a day to day life where you have an expectation of. Some rule of law, some peace, some safety, some security, all of that, right? Law enforcement also does a whole lot of punishment after the fact for those who break the law, right? Invest- a lot of investigations are about, I mean, a vast majority of investigations are about what has happened. And then you get into, well, how do you stop somebody who would be a mass shooter? It's similar conversations to how do you stop somebody who has radicalized and would be a terrorist? And intervening and preventing someone from taking an illegal action in the absence of illegal action is not something that law enforcement 
excels at, and there are some structural reasons for that. In law enforcement, in this case, I'm talking about the FBI. Uh, but there are reasons for that. Uh, one is that it's just really hard to do. Uh, and I understand that, right? So this is where we start to get into pre-crime, that Tom Cruise movie, but that whole notion of stopping someone before they do something bad because you know they're going to do it. Well, how do you really know? Uh, but then also you see how we have a different approach in this country. I've mentioned this to you before to what we do with intelligence versus law enforcement. You know, Britain has uh, MI5. Germany has the, I believe it's the BFV. The French have the DGSI. So there are all these different European countries that take essentially an intelligence collection approach and apply it specifically to preventing things from happening in those countries. Where uh, Now, whether they do it better or not is a separate discussion, but here we have the FBI is not really an intelligence agency. It's a law enforcement agency, and there's always a tension there. So the intervention before the event can be tricky, right? Because you want to, first of all, you have to know, as I said, and then also you have to make sure that if you do intervene, you have a sound basis for it. You don't blow sources and methods. You don't accelerate other planning that could be going on from associated individuals. There's a lot of different moving pieces in this. Preventing evil, preventing wrongdoing, preventing lawbreaking is a whole lot harder than punishing those who break the law. And that's a that's a disparity that I don't think we spend much time thinking about when we look at these events. Uh, but we've gotten really good as a society uh, at punishing lawbreakers. Right? We've gotten really good at, you know, if you commit a murder and you have any connection to the person, there's a very good chance, very good chance you'll be charged, whether you'll whether a jury of uh, peers will go along with it. Well, that can be a little more tricky sometimes. Um, but that's, you know, th- that's where we are right now. It's it's not a it's not an easy thing to do to say, hey, you got to stop people before they take illegal acts. Now, before anyone starts yelling at me, I understand in the case of the Florida shooting, there were illegal acts, comments about you know, Ill- illegal threats, uh, and there was a basis for mental health intervention. I get all that, but I'm just saying in general. So, so law enforcement straight up did, everyone's been saying, it's true, drop the ball on that. But in general, it's going to be harder to stop somebody from doing something than to punish people who do wrong and then hope that that keeps the rest of us basically on line, uh, in line. Uh, Cade with the following. I, uh, good morning, Buck. I have a request for you to send to your tech nerds. I'm a daily podcast listener, and I often have trouble hearing the podcast. Can you have the volume increased? Uh, also, I'm completely disgusted by what I saw on CNN last night. I'm not sure I've seen anything like it. Imagine if they did something similar to Clinton or Obama regarding any number of topics. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's, I've been saying, Cade, I am completely uh, horrified by the whole thing, too, although it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I know CNN well, up close and personal. Nothing about what happened there surprised me. In fact, I was expecting it. I didn't watch it because I knew it would happen, and then I realized, well, it it was so grotesque that I have to go back and watch it. So I did in the uh, in the wee hours of the morning last night. Um, but and as to the podcast, I, the guys here tell me that I just seem to speak in the mic more. I get very animated in the hut, and so sometimes I I bounce around, and you know I uh, sometimes I'm moving my hands around and stuff, and I 
forget that my mic is not near my mouth. So I'm going to try to be a little more disciplined. I'm going to have greater mic discipline instead of, you know, people talking about muzzle discipline. Got to be safe. Uh, mic discipline is something I'm going to work on here. Uh, with that, my friends, I am going to shut down the Freedom Hut for the evening. But tomorrow we got a Freestyle Friday coming your way. I already have some fun surprises in store for you. Hopefully, if the news cycle cooperates, we'll have kind of a, a, a chilled out and relaxing show. I'm hoping that will be possible to take us into the weekend. So uh, get ready for that. And until then, no matter what comes your way, shields high.